Let's begin by reading from Genesis chapter 8, verse 15 through 22. This is the story of Noah after the flood. God began speaking to him in verse 15, And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife, and thy sons, and thy sons' wives with thee. Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth, and be fruitful, and multiply upon the earth. And Noah went forth, and his sons, and his wife, and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, and every fowl, and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth after their kinds, went forth out of the ark. And Noah built an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast, and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar." And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease." So much for global warming, amen? (laughs) Hallelujah. God made it clear that the reason He had to curse the earth with the flood in the first place was because of man's proclivity towards sin. The sin of Adam had such a corrupting influence that by the time you get to Noah, there were only eight righteous people on the entire planet. Now, it's hard to get our arms around this, but... From my perspective, God had to intervene and stop the wave of violence and sin that plagued the earth at that time. If He delayed too much longer, there would be no righteous people left on planet earth. So for the sake of the billions to come, He had to take drastic action. He had to protect the seed of the woman, the bloodline that would eventually produce Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen? That seed was destined to crush the head of Satan, reverse the curse on mankind, and eventually, I believe, will produce a harvest of righteous souls, the likes of which the world has never seen. So let's go back to the beginning and see what we can learn. In the beginning, God instituted the principle of seed time and harvest. Genesis chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. The grass, the trees, the land animals, even mankind himself, all had seed within themselves that produced a harvest after its own kind. That's seed time and harvest. But that principle was interrupted when the flood came and destroyed all plant, animal, and human life on the face of the earth. Isn't that right? But when the flood was over, God declared that seed time and harvest would once again be the fundamental principle that guided everything that was birthed on planet Earth. Whether spiritual or physical, everything that was birthed from that point forward would follow the principle of seed time 
and harvest. As long as the earth exists, he declared it would never, ever be interrupted again. When Jesus Christ the righteous shared the parable of the sower with his disciples, he told them the following. Let's read from Mark chapter 4, verse 11 to 13. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. That seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted, and their sin should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? Jesus was saying that parables, if you dig a little deeper, contain and will reveal the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Furthermore, he made it clear that seed time and harvest was the key principle by which everything in the kingdom operates. So it's not some lightweight thing. This is something we need to study. This is something we need to understand because it impacts every area of our lives. We may not always understand how the principle works, but we can know one thing for sure. If you plant a seed God's way, it will produce a harvest. Mark chapter 4, verse 26 through 28. And this is Jesus continuing that same teaching on the parable of the sower. And he said, So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day, And the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. He knoweth not how. He didn't know how it worked. All he knew was that he planted a seed in the ground and watered it and let it get some sunshine. It would grow and it would produce a harvest. He didn't have to understand. Sometimes we don't have to understand the how-to. We just have to understand that God's purpose and will will be done. If we plant a seed God's way, it will produce a harvest. So stop worrying about how it's going to happen and just believe that it will happen. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. Jesus himself was a seed, and he knew that. And that seed produced a harvest of born-again believers. John chapter 12, verse 24 in the NIV. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. 1 Peter 1.23 says, that we were born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So get the picture. Jesus is the living word of God. He is the seed word of God. And when you take Jesus, the seed, the living word into your heart, it produces a harvest and you get born again. Amen. 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 He took the old man out and he put a new man in. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. What that word really means is without precedent, one that has never before existed. Now, I don't understand the mechanics of that. I don't understand how he could take my old spirit out and put a new one in. I don't understand the how-to. I just understand when the seed of the Word got planted in my heart, I accepted Jesus, and I got born again. And I am a new creation in Him. Amen. Whoo, glory to God. 
So one of the most important ways we can operate in the principle of seed time and harvest is, and this is kind of where we're going to center in today, one of the most important ways we can operate in the principle of seed time and harvest is by the words that we speak out of our mouths. God spoke words that were seeds, calling those things that be not as though they were. Isaiah 55, verse 10 and 11. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. God was saying, my word is just like seed, and when my word goes forth, it will produce a harvest. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Jesus spoke words that were seeds, calling those things that be not as though they were. Now, For those of you who don't know where that phrase comes from, it's over in Romans 4, 17, where it says, God who raises the dead and calls those things that be not as though they were. It's his way. I like to say it like this. You need to begin calling those things that be not as though they were until they are. Amen. Glory to God. Here's some examples where Jesus called those things that be not as though they were. And I think they're amazing. It was just his way. He slipped into this future speak very, very often. He was always speaking results. Look at Luke 17, 21. Jesus told his followers, The kingdom of God is within you. Before they were even born again, he declared it over them. John 11, verse 4. Jesus told Mary and Martha, This sickness is not unto death when Lazarus was already dead. John 19, 11, Jesus declared the prince of this world is judged before he went to the cross, before he went into hell and defeated Satan once and for all. He declared it was done before he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave by force from the devil himself. He declared the prince of this world is judged. John 17, verse 4, Jesus told the Father, I have finished the work that you gave me to do before he went to the cross, before he paid the ultimate price for mankind. He considered it done, and he spoke the seed word of faith, and it did produce a harvest. Amen. Glory to God. So I think we should follow the example of God our Father and Jesus our elder brother. Amen. We need to learn to operate by the rules of the kingdom of God that is within you. Matthew chapter 6 verse 10. Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray. He said pray this way. Father thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You know that's been partially answered. Because the kingdom of God is now within everyone that calls Jesus Lord, everyone that is born again. Amen? Romans 14, 17, Paul tells us that the kingdom of God exists within us in a spiritual form, and it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Amen? So the kingdom of God resides on the inside of you, and the kingdom of God operates under this principle, sea time and harvest. So you need to operate out of the kingdom rules that live on the inside of you. Amen? 
Our words are seeds and will produce a harvest. Jesus told his followers in Luke 17, 6, If you had faith as the grain of mustard seed, you would say to the sycamore tree, Be plucked up from the roots and it would obey you. If you had faith, you would say. If you had faith, you would say. First of all, just FYI here, a mustard seed is about half the size of the sesame seed on your McDonald's burger bun. It's a pretty small seed. So Jesus is making a point there. If you had just a tiny amount of faith, you would say some things. Hallelujah. I don't think God's people are missing it with faith. I think God's people have plenty of faith. Where I think they're missing it is we're not saying what we believe in our heart. In Romans, it says the word is nigh thee, even in thy heart and in thy mouth. That is the word of faith, which we speak. You got to speak. You got to launch those word seeds out of your mouth and believe God. They will produce a harvest in your life. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So I said again, our words are seeds and will produce a harvest. If you speak God's word in faith, it will produce a harvest of whatever you're declaring over your life. If you speak healing over your life, it'll produce a harvest of healing in your life. If you speak success over your life, it'll produce a harvest of success in your life. If you speak prosperity over your life, it will produce a harvest of prosperity in your life. Of course, you have to follow those words of faith with corresponding actions of faith. But... Your words are seeds, and if you do it God's way, they will produce a harvest. Now, there is a negative side to this principle. If you speak doubt and fear over your life, it will produce a harvest of doubt and fear in your life. Regardless of what area or set of circumstances you may be addressing with the words that come out of your mouth. We need, as the people of God, to learn to change our vocabulary so the words that come out of our mouth are seed words of faith. Amen. Because they will produce a harvest. Amen. Glory to God. Now, that is a fire hose treatment of seed time and harvest. Anybody ever tried to drink from a fire hose? It's not real easy. We're going to be on this for one, maybe two more sessions because I think it's so important that the people of God learn to operate by seed time and harvest. And I want to wrap this first session up by a a personal example that harkens back to my fighter pilot days. And I think it'll illustrate this point very, very nicely. Now, some of you have heard this testimony. Some of you haven't. But uh, when I was assigned to the 47th Fighter Squadron flying the A-10 Thunderbolt, a.k.a the Warthog, uh, the squadron had an internal Top Gun program at which tracked all the bombing and gunnery scores for every pilot, every half, every six months. Now, before you start thinking about Tom Cruise and Top Gun and all of that, <laughs> let me make one thing clear. The A-10 was and is an air-to-ground attack jet, okay? And although we had air-to-air defensive capabilities and we did have air-to-air missiles, sidewinders, heat seekers, we were primarily an air-to-ground attack jet, okay? So when we had our Top Gun program, it tracked our bombing scores and our strafing scores, how well we dropped bombs and how well we shot that mighty GAL-8 Avenger 30-millimeter cannon. 
I tell you, it was the funnest thing there was to fire off of that A-10. When that thing went off, it was like sitting on top of a 4,000-pound McCullough chainsaw. And then you smelled the gun gases come into the cockpit. And I'm telling you, it was a rush. And then when you saw the bullets hit, you were going, this is an awesome weapon. I don't want to be on the receiving end of that. (laughs) Glory to God. But I digress. So after my first six months in the squadron, I was ranked 49th out of 50 assigned and attached A-10 pilots in the squadron. Not really what you would call a stellar performance. And it made me mad because I was already under scrutiny because I was a former Marine helicopter pilot and there were all already some pilots in the squadron that were saying he doesn't have what it takes. He'll never acquire the skills necessary to be a good A-10 pilot. So it made me mad, and I decided, I made up my mind, I was going to do something about it. And I went to the Scriptures. And from that time, every time I prepared to fly, from that point on, every time I prepared to fly, every time I flew, I would confess the Word of God over myself concerning my flying abilities in the A-10 Warthog. Specifically, my weapons delivery accuracy. I want you to hear me now. I picked two Scriptures that I felt like applied to my situation. I personalized them, I made them my own, I applied them to flying the A-10. The first scripture I picked was Romans 8-11. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Amen. Psalm 144.1 says, Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight. So I took those two scriptures, I personalized them, I adapted them to flying the A-10, and this is a typical confession that I would make over myself every time I prepared to fly and every time I flew. I mean, A-10 is a single-seat cockpit, so I can talk all I want to as long as I don't key the mic and send out the radio signal. I was confessing the word when I was on those bombing and gunnery missions. And this is what I would say, typically. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, he dwells in me, he quickens me, he makes alive my mortal body, making me better, quicker, stronger, smarter when I fly this jet. The Lord is my strength. He teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight. I'm a top gun for Jesus in the A-10 Warthog. That was my regular confession when I prepared to fly and when I flew a gunnery or bombing mission for six months. Now, of course, I had to take corresponding actions of faith and I had to learn my craft. I had to do everything I could to get better at dropping bombs and shooting that awesome 30-millimeter cannon. But I want to declare to you, six months later, when the next half's Top Gun standings were released... I was ranked solidly in the top 10 out of 50 pilots in the squadron. And I remained in the top 10 every half, sometimes cracking the top five and sometimes being number one in individual categories until I left the squadron four years later. Your words are seeds. And if you do it God's way, they will produce a harvest. I I mean, I went from former Marine helicopter pilot to having the nickname Sure Shot Scott. My accuracy was that good 
that I had a reputation of being one of the better marksmen in the squadron for the entire time that I was there. To God be all the glory. I'm not bragging on me. I'm bragging on God. Now, that was over 20 years ago, but I still remember the power of the words that you speak in faith will produce a harvest in your life. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. Next week, we're going to learn how we can extend the principle of seed time and harvest to other areas of our lives, especially when it comes to the area of finances. Amen? Amen. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And He's coming back again.